Whoa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night. This is Connor Hallway of the Golden Hours Podcast, and this is a GDP Minute. Now listen, you guys, you know I've been coming through with the value. You know we run fresh episodes. We have the freshest guests. They're entertaining. We prepare like crazy for them. We make sure the content's amazing. I need you guys to do me a favor. If you get any sort of value from this episode, I know I say it all the time and I just say it, but I really mean it going forward. If you get any sort of value from these episodes, you got to share it with a friend for me, man. That's all I ask. Share these episodes with a friend. I want to grow this show. I want to grow it super organically, which we have been doing, but now it's time to boss up, man. I want it to be bigger. I want to get better guests for you guys, and I want to grow this brand in Boston, and I want to show it's possible in this city. So, you guys, please share this with a friend. That would mean the world to me, man. Again, only if you get value. If you don't get value, sucker punch me the next time you see me, man. means I'm not doing my job right. For real. That's number one. Now, number two, I just had Rob Ninkovich on the podcast, the second Patriots player we've ever had on the show. And dude, another awesome guy, man. For real. I can tell why ESPN hired him. Guy's great personality, man. Super rocket. And um, he covered a lot. Talked about a lot. Talked about his playing career a lot. Talked about the decision to retire, leveraging a business career afterwards. And he also discussed his thoughts on Tesla, which was pretty cool. And... He discussed what it was like being in the locker room for that 28-3 versus the Falcons. And I covered all the Patriots stuff because I know there's a lot of Pats fans who listen to this. But, dude, more than anything, he's just a grinder. Years and years of grind. And he went played at Juco, got cut, hustled. Just fucking love stories like that, you know? So, I hope you guys enjoy it. Rob Nikovich's Golden Hour. And we have another Patriots player coming up next week. Whoa, this one's active. Just haven't released it yet. Also, I got hoodies on the website if you guys want to buy them. Got a couple left. Got a box. It's actually in my Civic right now. So I'll go. I'll drive it up to you. I'll flip it to you if you want one. And, dude, I just want to shout out the Golden Deer team, too. For real. I get caught up a lot and just trying to grow this thing as much as I can. But I could not do this without Lexi, Riley, Jack, and in this case as well, Brendan, who's back helping us research. I could not do this stuff without them. I could not manifest a lot of these ideas without them. So all love, and I hope you guys enjoy. Thank you so much. Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait, was that not it? Hey, enter, just, you forgot to enter. Hi, my name is Rob Nikovich. That was my golden hour. Rob, what's up, boss? Good to see you, man. Hello, brother. How we doing? You want you want a minute before we move on? Seems like you you're rushing. I'm good, man. I can I can cruise. Sweet. Well, dude, how was the workout? Oh, it was good. It was a light light one. Nothing crazy. Before we begin, man. Yeah. I'm Connor, man. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. Someone, I was like gauging everyone's questions. I was like, yo, I mean, because people get pumped. It's like the Patriots, right? And. Yeah. Uh, I was like, what questions do you guys have for Rob? People were like, dude, how does beard get so thick, man? <laughs> Genetics, real easy. Genetics. Now, now did you start growing that post uh post plan or no, I've had this I've had a beard since I was like 18. So it's just just one of them things, man. The Croatian genetics, I guess, it just gives you a big ass beard. Have you been back to Croatia yet? Yeah, I have. I uh went for my 
honeymoon actually my wife is croatian too so i lucked out on that one I, i'm full-blooded man and my kids are like full-blood croatians <laughs> now what are some of like the uh the genetic traits that croatians normally carry over like i know greek dudes are like super testosterone filled hormonal <laughs> i think uh number one is a thick beard because my my grandfathers both had a badass beards which is genetics obviously um i always ask my old man like what did they what did like our ancestors do in croatia and i guess they're just like stone like they just like chip rocks away for <laughs> like they're like stone removers i don't know it's like like remove stones from fields and stuff just crazy stuff i mean it, the way of life back then is different onion fields and all this crazy stuff so um you know it's crazy when i was in croatia beautiful women i'm talking like insane like beautiful women dude you're married uh, yeah so my wife's croatian she's beautiful so okay, all right my fault that's, that's, a, that's a compliment to the to the the croatian the genetics beautiful beautiful people so um we went out there we went to dubrovnik we went to split we went to var uh, we did like a two-week thing we bounced around um it was cool we had a great time different you, you know you go to Anything like not United States is just so strange. You know, like even the toilets, I was looking at the toilets. I'm like, dude, these, they're like, like perfect circles. I'm like, what the hell? There's no oval here. There's no like comfort seat. No, it's not. It's just a perfect circle. Like, all right. Dude, it was the same thing. I, I went to Turkey in December and the, and the toilets are perfect squares. It's so, that's so weird. So I'm like, dude, this looks like it's going to hurt a little bit. Yeah. Like, like that will, I guess in other countries, they don't want you to sit down very long. So they want you to get up and do other things. America, we're, we're kind of fat and happy and lazy. So most of the time, people want like a comfort seat so they can, you know, go through their Instagram accounts while they're on the throne, you know? I know, we're sedentary. Is, that how you say it? Is it sedentary? Sedentary, sedentary. Sedentary. Hey, yeah. well, listen, I have one of our producers, Brendan, on the phone. Brendan, say what's up to Rob. What's going on, Rob? What up, man? And, uh, dude, before we move on, can you just give a quick synopsis of who you are and what you do? Yep. So, I'm Rob Nikovich. i uh former NFL football player, played for the New England Patriots, uh, Miami Dolphins, New Orleans Saints, won a couple Super Bowls. Um, it was a great time. Then I, then I uh, graduated from the professional levels. I don't like to say retired because that's kind of like a – an old people term when you retire. I think that you got to be like in your 60s or 70s to retire completely. So then I moved into uh, doing some some broadcasting, um, local stuff first. People don't realize that when you play football your whole life, basically from August, say last weekend in July to December, as an adult, you don't have a Saturday or a Sunday or a Friday to basically be normal, to do anything like what normal people do. So my first year, I was like, man, I wanna, I wanna experience what an October is on a weekend. Like, I wanna go do stuff. I wanna like check out different things that I've never been able to do. I wanna go to, I never tailgated. So I wanted to go check out like what tailgating was like. And just like having a good time, enjoying my family. Um, that first year, then the second year I did some local stuff, uh, just, NBC Boston. Then the third year out, I worked with ESPN. I did a two-year thing. I'm still working with them right now. So currently I do um, some some coverage with ESPN on just NFL stuff. And, 
you know, I own a motorsports business in New Hampshire. Yep. I'm partners with uh, my buddy, Joel. So he owns, uh, we're 50, 50 partners in that. And there's a 1300 acres up there that we own and it's connected to the uh, Jericho state park. So we're, this is all like new stuff. It's, it's kind of like happening right now as we speak. So we're like cutting new trails. We're going to expand things. We're going to have another building that we're putting together. Kind of like make it like a destination because people want to, especially right now, you want to get out, you want to be outside, you want to ride, you know, you, you can go hiking. So this is going to be like four seasons. You can go hiking, you can go, um, you know, cross country skiing, you could do a snowmobiles, like we're going to have trails there. You could do four wheelers side by sides. It's all like in one thing. And then eventually um, I'm trying to, I'm talking to a few people and putting like little cabins in the woods. Cause it's a ton of acreage there. And you could just come to the, come to our location you know, unload your stuff, take your stuff up to your cabin, stay there a weekend, and then just get, have a little getaway. So um, that's kind of like my new deal right now. That's what I'm working on. So elaborate. You're kind of creating your like own national park. Yes. Your that's own your, your own park, your own like sanctuary. So because the national parks, the state parks, sorry, not national, the state park, it's called Jericho State Park um, in Berlin, New Hampshire. So Jericho State Park is like 7,000 acres, and we are abutted to that 7,000 acres with 1,300 acres, and you can go from that property, because if you abut a state park, you can use your property for having cabins and having, you know, places to go stay, stay the night, get a fire, like nice cabin with a fireplace, and you can bring your family up there, and you can go, you know, side by sides, you can go on a snowmobile and go up into the state park. And then you do your, have your fun for the day. You come back to your cabin, you have food, you have dinner, you do whatever you want. You do that for as many days as you want. And it's, it's pretty neat because if you're in the state park, they only have like RVs, like you can bring your RV up there, but it's not like, you know, a true destination. You got people next to you. So this is going to be more like secluded, um, go up there. And we've already had a, you know, interest from like Polaris to give us some grants to, to have like events there. Um, What's Polaris? That, that's like the, uh, like the, the ski do company, like the ski machine. Yeah. Polaris. Yeah. Polaris is, is a like snowmobile company and there's cool stuff going on because there's like, everything's turning into, you know, EV. So they're going to come out with like electric or side by sides. And, um, we have four or five windmills on the top of the peak. Cause actually the land that we own is called Mount forest. It's actually like a peak and overlooks Berlin. And there's five uh, wind turbines on the top of the mountain. So we own three of the five that's on the property. And then that's creating power. So, I mean, that it should be, there's, there's a lot of things that still have to be done. And it, there's still going to be a, a process here. But we started it. It's already started. So uh, I think the 1st of December, we were operational under our name. So the dealership is called Mom's Jericho. Um, and that's in Berlin, New Hampshire. So you have, you have mowed trails up there. Like you have. Yeah. So the, the, the cool thing is, is if you own land in New Hampshire and you open it up to public access. So if I let you go on my property with your snowmobiles, the state takes over any liability. So the state pays your taxes on your liability. Let's go. Um, so you, you, I mean, that's big. So especially when you have a lot of land, so that, um, helps. And then you have clubs. So you have people that are ski clubs 
that they're all volunteers. They want to have all these, they want to have trails cut. They want to have um, places to go because like now, especially 2021, people are nervous about letting other people on their land because if there's, you know, there's, there is risk involved, like someone, you know, drinking or something, being an idiot and they get hurt or they're, you know, throwing trash, you know, all over the place. And it's, it's, so we're going to have a tight knit group of people that are working there um, that, that want to take care of the property and the people that go up there um, kind of the right type of people, family oriented, um, you know, so they already cut one trail, which literally it's, it's, it was insane. I went up there about a month ago and the trail before was all overgrown and you could barely get through it. Like you were literally like walking through it. It was this tight and they opened it up to like 12 foot wide. Like it's huge now. And they're all out there with like chainsaws, you know, clearing it themselves. And, you know, we give them, you, you give them money because it's like, Hey, they're, they want, they're volunteering, but it's still like, dude, you're working like in like sunrise to sunset and you're doing it for your own. Like they want to go out there and have their own fun. Um, but it's cool because it's something different. And New Hampshire is, I don't know if you've ever been to New Hampshire. It's, I keep my distance, but yes, I have been. Dude, it's, it is like, if you go really North, like, cause that's where I'm at. I'm like right by the white mountains. Dude, people are so hit or miss on New Hampshire from Massachusetts. You know that. I, I, I enjoy New Hampshire. I, first of all, if you're going to go buy something, if you're going to go buy a snowmobile or anything of value, you go to New Hampshire because you're not going to pay state tax, which is uh, very enticing. Um, so if you own property up there, it's, it just, it makes sense. It makes sense to, to go up North Massachusetts, say what you're going to, you know, you can say whatever you want about mass, but they love their taxes. Right. And they're going to get their money. So, um, they call it tax right? So they're going to tax the, the crap out of you. Um, in New Hampshire, if you like the outdoors and you like being outside and getting away, there's, very few places where it's almost like untouched, you know, there's everything starting to come in around you and cities are expanding and people want to go to the suburbs, which is like making everything so congested. I personally like going up somewhere, going on my property and Hey, I'm, I'm just by myself with the people I want to be with having a few cold beers and having a nice fire. Like that's perfect for me. Dude, another great benefit to your property is if a real deal apocalypse happens, you got a getaway, man. You're good to go. Hey, there. Hey, I'm not gonna tell you what's on that property, too. There's, there's, <laughs> I'm gonna join there, you, man. There, there might be a door that goes under the ground, but we'll see. I don't know. A shelter. Wink, 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 wink. wink. <laughs> well, dude, um, when you uh, when your career was coming to an end, did you know you wanted to go the entrepreneurial route, or was coaching ever in your mind? Yeah, I mean, coaching is it's always still there in the back of my head, like, Hey, if you want to still be involved and do something that it's, it's so weird because when you are a pro athlete, you, I try to explain it this way. Imagine a, imagine a doctor, a doctor, they go to school and they perfect their skills. And once they have every tool in the toolbox, they get a job as a doctor and they use those tools until they're 70 and they really retire. Right. And along that whole length and time, you know, people go to them for, you know, they help, they're helping people, all the skills that they've gained over school, their, their years of working comes together for a career that helps a lot of people out in football. You gain all these skills 
and you learn all these things, you have all these tools, and then you stop playing football at 32 years old, 31 years old. And all those things that you've gained, the knowledge and the technique and all the stuff that you've worked on in perfecting your craft to be an elite, elite athlete doesn't really mean anything. It's, it's pointless. You know, you go on a job interview and say, hey, man, I could set an edge and I can get to a quarterback. They're like, oh, you know, it doesn't, it, the one thing I would say it, it gives you. But you develop like crazy, like mental character. Mental character. That's what I was going to say. The one thing it does give you, it gives you your work ethic. So you're, you're always scratching, clawing, fighting to be the best. And certain guys, though, because there's some athletes that they're just gifted, right? And the gifted, it's, it's like, you know, the, the kid that on his 18th birthday got a, a million bucks from a, from a fund. You know, it's like when you don't really work for it hard, over time, when you get a little bit older, those, those things that you need and those intangibles of like working your butt off every single day, trying to perfect your crap, trying to be the best you can possibly be. As you get older, you know, you become a little slower. You're not as fast. You're not as explosive. You're not as strong. So like you have to rely on all those things that you built when you're younger to lean back on that work ethic. So you can keep, keep playing at a high level. So that's the one thing I would say to, to get into the business side of things. I wanted to do that to experience the competitive side because everything you do in business is competitive and you want to be the best you want to win so that's why you know i teamed up with moms if you look up moms motorsports they have five locations now they're one of the top five in the country in sales so i wanted to go and learn from the best and how joel does things because he came in as a um he was a bank banker he was actually a cfo of a bank joel wheeler was a cfo of a bank his dad started the company. He was actually doing his own thing in banking and finance. His dad was getting older, said, Hey, I'm going to, I'm either going to sell this thing and, and do, you know, retire or it's going to be gone. So he's like, all right, well, I want to get back. I want to make sure that the family name, the business can, can carry on. And he took all the knowledge from the banking side of things and grew moms to like, I mean, a lot. I mean, a lot. I mean, he does like 30 million in sales in one location. So he got into um, the finance side. So he started his own finance company. Um, he started his own um, warranties. So like that's, that's the ins and outs of all this stuff too. Because look, I, I understand motorsports. People are like, oh, it's a four-wheeler. It's a side-by-side. But that's kind of like uh, it's, it's people's get away from the real world. Everyone's going to, everyone needs a truck. Everyone needs a car. But when you have, when you've worked for something and, and you're, you're, you want to go enjoy yourself and you want to go be with your family, you know, my little boy as a, as a little PW four wheeler, you know, him and my little girl go outside. They love it. You know, it's just little like family bonding stuff that, that, that I really grew up with because I grew up in Illinois and, you know, I was on the suburbs, like kind of the outskirts five minutes one way you're in like the middle of nowhere cornfields and then you go the other way and you're in like the suburbs. So, you know, I grew up doing all that stuff, you know, riding dirt bikes, four wheelers. So it's just like, it's kind of like in, in you to, to want to continue to, to be around stuff like that. And it's fun. You know, it's, it's fun. It's like, if you can do something that's not really um, something that, that you wake up and you're like, I'm going to my job. Like, it's not a job. It's like, okay, I enjoy it. So you want to have fun with what you're doing for your profession and, you know, there's probably people listening to this like, oh, yeah, like I wish, you know, sometimes there's parts of things that always are going to stink. You know, when I was 
playing football. Like, did I enjoy every moment of playing football? No, no. Like, I didn't enjoy uh, being hurt, tear, you know, tearing my shoulder up, having surgeries. I don't enjoy uh, conditioning and wanting to fall over because I'm so tired. Like, that stuff's not fun. But winning Super Bowls, that's, that's great. That's fun. You know, and, and in the business side of things, there's always going to be hiccups and bumps. Just like, I mean, co- they look at what, what our country's gone through in the last year. You know, I think back to my birthday. My birthday's Monday, February 1st, my birthday. So Happy 30, birthday, my boy. 37 years old, bro. Uh, Dude, you look like 34. <laughs> it's, that, it's the greasy skin. Croatian grease. That's that Croatian DNA, baby. That Croatian DNA, the greasy, the oily skin. Um, so, you know, you, you think back. I think back to last year at this time. I was out to dinner with my wife and a friend, and there was, like, nothing there was nothing going on right now there was no covid and then in one year everything changed basically like there's a lot of things that are going to change um probably forever you know which is unfortunate it's very unfortunate so you know there's there's things that people were riding high and then there's now the the things that are coming down but the crazy part of this whole thing is with this pain i just read an article that uh the country's billionaires have gained 1.1 trillion in in um, in wealth. Well, that boy Bezos is balling, man. He's yeah. <laughs> so so it's like, you know, the the uber the uber rich and the super wealthy are going to continue to be uber and super wealthy even when pandemics hit. Because guess what? They have the, they have the the angles on everybody. Okay. Well, guess what? We we can't go to the store. Oh, we'll order it on Amazon. You know, it's. It's crazy. It really is. Now, did you realize it was a benefit like retiring as a Patriot and pivoting into a business career just because people love professional athletes around here so much more than most cities? Like if you retired like a Jaguar, it might be a little (laughs) bit harder to fire something up. Yeah. No, I mean, look, people remember you for what they last saw you. Like, and when I say that people remember the last time they see someone physically playing a sport or, you know, unfortunately the last time you see somebody in, in the life and, and you remember that you remember that it's ingrained in your brain. Um, so for me, I won the Super Bowl, and I wanted to go out on my terms. And when I say my terms, there's only three ways you can go out of, of, of any professional sport. It's your way, it's their way, or it's injured. That's it. There's no other way. And I would say 90%, 90% of the guys, any girls, any professional sport. You know, I, I just watched a documentary on Lindsey Vaughn that HBO did. She didn't want to go out like that. I mean, she's crying because her career's over, because her knees were shot. She, she was pushed out of the sport that she loved due to her body failing her. Just... Her knees were shot. She couldn't skate. She couldn't skate anymore. She couldn't do it. She couldn't skate. She was so goddamn dominant when she was killing she, it. Yeah, she was killing it. So you see the the and as an athlete, you see the rise and you see the peak of your career. You can feel it. You know it. You know, like you're you're at the top, top, top of where you're going to be at physically, mentally, and then you start to feel this. You start to feel the the decline. Just, I would say, I mean, when you're, when you hit like 32, you start to feel it because you've been doing stuff for so long and you see these young kids 
and you got the you know the the coaching staff talking on this side like oh he's 31 he's 32 he's getting older he's getting a little bit slower and for me I knew coming in my first year in the league I tore my ACL and it was in the uh, Superdome opening game so when the Saints opened up Monday night versus the Falcons Steve Gleason you know block punt that whole big thing. I was on that. I was on the field for that. Like I experienced all that. It was insane. Um, and then just a few plays later, I was running down on kickoff, got hit weird, twisted me up. You know, I tore my knee up and then that was it. That was my season. You know, it was gone. Whew. I mean, I tore my ACL, my MCL, my PCL, my meniscus, and I had microfracture. So I, I had like a explosion. They call it like an, like an explosion inside my knee because I, I was like stuck in the turf and I got turned. So my foot was stuck one way and then I literally like spun on it, you know? So I felt, I felt bionical leg now. I felt three distinct pops, pop, pop, pop. And then I couldn't, the only thing holding my, the only thing holding my leg together basically was my skin and my LCL was like holding my lower part of my leg to my upper part. Because after the game, dude, why are you smiling? Man, because I'm, th- I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. It's after the game. Dude. After the game. Listen to this. After the game. Because I think back on it, and it's like, it's like, man, like, that pushed me. That pushed me to a point of, like, I didn't know if my career was going to be over, but it pushed me to be a better person, player, um, everything across the board. Because when you have, like – when you have things that like almost take your path and your career away that you've been really focused on. And when you're 22 years old, you're a little bit cocky and you feel like you're, you're riding this way. That's never going to end. And nobody's going to stop it. I can just do, I'm going to ball out. I'm going to get a big contract. I'm going to be a starter. And then boom, it's everything's done. You're like, and then you're sitting in an office and you're thinking about it and you're like, okay, I hope I get good news here. And after the game, I was on crutches and you're riding this like high of just adrenaline and everything. And I remember getting in the car and I was like, just got in normal. Like I got in like I would normally. And I totally like forgot that my leg was really messed up. And when I picked my leg up to bring it in, like it just kind of like fell, like it fell and I felt it. I was like, Oh shit. And I grabbed my like calf. And I had to like pick the bottom part of my leg up, put it in the car. And I went to the anyone doctor. Anyone listening, Rob is still smiling as he recounts <laughs> this. This dude's a masochist. It's a freak. And my dad calls me a masochist. I am a masochist. But anyway, uh, pain is your friend. My dad would always tell me pain is your friend, which is kind of. I agree. I'm surprised you're not super into endurance running at this point. It's like the most painful shit of all time. Uh, dude, I, I'll get on the Peloton and I'll try and be like top 30 in the, in the country right now or in the world. And I'm pretty close, pretty close. And I, I literally, you know, I get a little chest pain. I'm like, I can fight through it, you know, no problem. Love it. But, uh, you know, get the smell and salts, Woo! you know, get crazy. Little, well, dude, I got a 15 mile run down to Charles this Sunday in the brutal cold. You want to join me? Yeah. Well, 15 miles for me, I'm 250. So dude, I got, eat like three miles with me. I, I'll, I can do three. I can do three easy. Um, so I'll go in and I see Dr. James and Dr. Andrews. I think it's James Andrews. Yeah, it's James Andrews. Uh, he did. He actually perfected the patella graft and like the replacing the ACL and all that stuff. Um, 
So I went to go see him in Birmingham, Alabama at the time. It was in Birmingham. And I go in his office and he's sitting there. He's looking at the MRIs. He's like, yeah, you know, your ACL, I'll fix that. Your PCL is going to scar over. Your MCL heal. I'll fix your meniscus. Um, and we'll just do a little microfracture to get that bone back. And you'll be good to go in a year. I'm like, sweet. So I did the, I did the surgery. Eight months later, I was back and I, I was fixated on not wearing a brace. So, you know, you see all these people that have an ACL, they wear a brace. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? You're just going to like limit yourself. So the whole time I didn't put a brace on, never put a brace on, came back at eight months. Uh, my knee was good to go. I was hundred percent. And then this? this was uh 2007 coming back in 07. And, uh, some asshole uh, rolled up on me in training camp, Andy Alleman. Sorry, Andy, if you're watching, probably not. Uh, he was a, a rookie, like an overzealous, like crazy rookie, flying around on the on the floor, like ground all the time. And any coach in football tells you if you're on the ground, you're wrong. So this dude was constantly on the ground. You know, got flung into me, and he tore my other MCL, my other knee, uh, which was just – it was just enough. Because the MCL, like, it'll heal. It'll heal in, like, four weeks. It's not a big injury. But it was just enough to where, like, it sidelined me to where I couldn't be out there and, like, get back to where I was. So then, you know, you get hurt with your knee. You're out for eight months. You come back. You hurt your other – so it was almost like a, a, a freaking a curse, you know, because then he tore – I tore that one. I was back in four weeks. I was good, but it was just enough for them to, to release me. And uh, that was it. But, it, you know, and then going through those, like getting cut, it's all just a, a character builder. It just builds and, and kind of strengthens your character and, and you, you believe in yourself. And I understood at that point when I got hurt, I understood that I just needed another opportunity to get in front of somebody that that really really is going to give me a shot because the nfl unfortunately there's a lot of bs involved there's a lot of guys that are drafted high the teams aren't going to replace those guys because they have money involved in them if the money's involved then it's that's their evaluation that's that's going to be critiqued you know so if you, if you look at some teams they draft a guy high he's going to be on the team they're not going to cut him because whoever drafted that guy, guy has a job that people are evaluating how he evaluates talent. So if he goes out there and he drafts a guy and they cut him, well, then he looks like an idiot. So, you know, just like free agency, it's, it's almost like college football when you have a walk-on that's literally off the street. It's hard for that kid to beat out the scholarship kid because who gave him the scholarship? A coach who, who recruited him, you know? So, um Dude, it's so interesting you say this because when I ran the episode with James, he like said the same thing. He was like, yo, I was just waiting for a shot and someone just recognized my work ethic and my discipline. And why do you think most dudes kind of like you guys with that like grit just end up with the pets? I mean, I, I, because Bill every year will say to the team when we all get together for the first time, which he really, he truly does this. He'll say, I don't care who you are, where you're from, your draft status, your contract. If you can help the team win, there's a place for you here. Now, it might not be on the 53. It might be in some other role, like a practice squad player. It might be a guy that's bouncing from the practice squad, off the practice squad, on the practice squad, running down on kickoff. But if you can, 
kind of take hold of what we were trying to do here. And that's, you know, the Patriots do a great job of getting the right group of guys together. And I know 2020 has, has been a tough one for the Pats, but they've, they've lost a lot. And they always had the one thing that the Patriots always had was an older group of guys for the young guys. You know, you have your old guys and your young guys, your young guys come in, they see the older guys and they, they learn from these guys. And you want the young guys. And this is an issue, too. In 2021, these young kids these days, younger guys like yourself. I don't know how old you are. You look pretty young to me. Yes. But, yeah, there's a, a lot of younger kids these days that, you know, there's the social media platforms, the Instagrams, all that stuff. A lot of that shit's fake. So they see things. They want to get to the top, like, now. They want to be, like, starters instantly. Like, hey, I'm a fifth-round draft pick. I want to start. I want a big contract. I want to do all these things. I want to sell t-shirts on Instagram. I want to be Julian Edelman of the Instagram game. But guess what? You first have to build a foundation and earn the respect of everybody around you so you can climb the ladder to get to where you need to be. And for example, Julian Edelman, the kid came in as a basically a late round draft pick, was a college quarterback, came in to learn the position of receiver. He basically worked his ass off for six years to get into the position to where then from six years to 10, he took off and everything followed him. So all that hard work, all that dedication, it all came with him. Boom. Super Bowl MVP. Like, come on. You, you can't tell me that when that guy was drafted, anyone would say Julian Edelman is going to be a Super Bowl MVP. Like, that's just crazy. But with that, he did a great job of marketing all that success. But you can't do that without earning the respect of everybody around you. And the Patriots had the older group of guys, the younger group learned from the older guys. As this young group got older, the new guys came in. So for me, when I first got here in 2009, you know, there was Teddy Bruschi. Um, there was that old Patriot, like... Was Corey Dillon there So No, Corey was gone. Corey Dillon. But we had... Uh, oh, we, okay. had we had Falk. You know, Kay Falk was here. Um, you had Vince. You had Big V. You had guys, you had uh, Mankin, Logan Mankins, you had Steve Neal, you had Matt Light, you had Tom, you know, obviously the constant, you had Tom, uh, you had you had Junior Seau. Like when I got here, I, I'm looking at Junior Seau, I'm like, holy shit, that's Junior Seau. Like, are you shitting me? It's Junior Seau. Like, I can't believe it. I wanted to get his autograph. I got his autograph. So it's just, it's, it's like, then... With that young group of guys, 09 and 2010, they drafted Grump, McCourty, Julian. Um, you know, you had Gaskowski that was young coming from Hernandez. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that was unfortunate. But, you know, that guy was super talented, super talented. Killing it. Yeah, in more ways than one. Um, okay. So, you know, Grunk, who was a freak. And then you just see those guys mature. And then – this year is tough because you lose Hightower, Hightower Chung, two other guys I didn't say. Um, you know, those two guys didn't play this year. So you lose some guys and you lose that, that, that group that would have been so vital to these young – you had young guys this year that were thrown into positions that I felt that were probably too big and too fast for them. So, you know, I, I so are, think – Are you dissuading younger players from building the business side of things when they come in? You think they should just focus on playing? I think, yeah, because your play – helps you grow your brand. Your play is what is your, your, and I used to, my agent used to tell me this. She would tell me this all the time. Your, 
when you play football, your plays on the field reflect your pay off the field. So what you do on the field is what people see. Now that should reflect your contract status. That should reflect your endorsements. That should reflect, if you suck, you don't deserve to get paid. You don't deserve, a, you don't deserve to sell anything. You shouldn't get anything. So there's a, like all these kids now, these young kids, they have teams of people. They have Instagram people. They have Twitter people. They have uh, TikTok people that say, hey, TikTok at this time, to, we'll get the most followers. And I get it. But if you only have a two-year career, nobody's going to follow you or, or want to do anything with somebody that doesn't perform. Now, if you perform and you go out there, oh, I don't know what's doing there. Okay. If you go out there and you perform. You got no you case make, on that phone? You're crazy. No case, bro. And this thing, <laughs> You're a lunatic. You know how old that is? It's about five years old. I don't is even that, know what this is. Is that Paul Revere's phone? This thing is, what is this? How do you know what the, the actual phone is? How does it say my phone or something? This is an iPhone 6. Not even broke. Look at that screen. It's great. I know. That's what John Adams used to use. Now, this is my, this is my email phone. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no case. No case, but it is broken. Yes. No case, mad cracks. It's mad broke. Yeah. It fell off my washer. I was really angry. That's another. That's a challenge. You, no case on the phone. How can you protect your phone? Is it something that you, you don't care about? You just, because then it'll break. Dude. Care about your, if you care for your shit, it'll take care of you. Yeah, there's no that. way to rationalize not having a case at this point. Those things hey, crack like crazy. If you drop it, don't drop it. Don't drop it. Well, um, when you yeah, are- Back to what you were saying about the young kids coming in the league right now. I think you, you have to perform. And, and if you perform in college, that anyone could perform in college. I can go back to college right now. I get five, six sacks, eight sacks, 10 sacks. I don't know. I'd be better than, than most college kids. Oh, easy, easy, bro. I'm still cranked up. <laughs> but anyway, you have to earn the respect of your peers. You have to go out there, do the work, put in the time, grind it out. And then success comes. I mean, it just does. It does. Now, yeah. again, back to like that, that, common grit mindset when it comes to coming to the pats i mean you you were in juco right man i got crazy stories about juco so i was in illinois i graduated i graduated high school um 2002 i was i was all state i was a good football player but i wasn't that nobody recruited me you know i didn't have any big looks i didn't have you know i d3 offer they don't even give scholarships they give eight so I was looking at I was looking at it and I'm like, all right, well, how can I get to Division One? I, I want to play Division One. That's that was my goal. I want to play Division One. So things kind of in life, you have some luck involved, and it just things happen by chance. And at the time, Joliet Junior College was about 30 miles down the road from my parents' house, and they had just won the national championship. And Bob McDougal. Um, was the head coach at the time called me up. He says, uh, Hey Rob, like we got a good team here. If you want to try and, you know, stepping stone, this thing, get to the next level. We got a great program here. Um, come on out. So I, you know, every day go dry, I'd go do my schoolwork and I'd go practice on a field with no grass, uh, bring my own pads. I played in the stadium with no fans. You know, there'd be like three parents out there and fake crowd noise. Um, and, uh, you know, I had, had two years there where I really enjoyed it. I mean, I, I was playing with guys that were that are probably in prison now, but uh, 
there are a lot of a lot of uh, tough tough dudes that were either kicked out of school or you know juvie or you know arrested. They got kicked out of school, so it was an experience there. I met a lot of guys that uh, you know came from some from many different backgrounds and upbringings, inner city kids. Um, I played with uh, Calvin Hayden, who actually played for the Colts and had a, a pick six in the Super Bowl that actually helped them win. So he was one of my teammates. He was probably me and Calvin were only two guys that got to the league out of that group. But uh, no, it was it was a great experience though because it, it it really humbled me. You know, I, all these kids that were going off to colleges, like oh they're going to Eastern Illinois and Illinois State. I'm like Ball State. I'm like okay, I'm going to JUCO. You know, I'm going to Joliet Junior College down the street with uh, middle-aged uh, housewives that want to go get their associates. Like, that's what it was. So I, I had to really stay focused and motivated because it would have been really been easy at that moment to just pack it in and say, well, it's just not going to happen for me. Uh, might as well just go to a state school and, and just do that. You know, like, it would have been so easy to do that. But I just had this, like, drive inside me, like, I want to do this. I feel that I am undervalued and overlooked for what I am. I feel like I have an elite set of skills. If I can perfect those and I can continue to get bigger, stronger, faster, and learn more about the game, I'll have a chance. And, you know, I, I was coming home one day from junior college and uh, Mark Hagan, who is the defensive line coach for the Boilermakers for Purdue uh, University, was recruiting this kid, A.J. Lindsay. Rewind, sorry to interrupt you. So the goal was always D1. Did you ever in those days have NFL like dreams? Was that ever on your mind? I mean, I, when you're a kid, you always watch games and you you dream and aspire to be a pro athlete. But did you think it was feasible at JUCO? I, I did not think it was. I, I mean, I wouldn't say I didn't think it was feasible. I never for a second doubted the abilities that I had to at least to play at a high level. And I guess a high level, like D1 or the pros, I mean, when I got to Purdue, and this was, this was really the, the point where I knew that I had a chance to go to the next level after Purdue. And I'll explain that right now. When I, my sophomore year, Mark Hagan was recruiting this guy, AJ Lindsay. I went home. I was like, yo, pop, like, why are they recruiting this kid? Like, I'm better than him. I'm better. I led the country in sacks that year. I was, I had like 17 sacks. I was killing it. Like, and my dad was like, I don't know. Why don't you just call uh, the head coach? And I was like, all right, I'll do that. So I literally called Joe Tiller like 25 times. I left him 25 voicemails. I called him repeatedly. He called me back. He was like, hey, kid. That's exactly what he said. Hey, kid, stop calling me. Send me your tape. Send some like Mark a tape when he comes back. We'll check it out and, you know, we'll get back to you. So I gave him my stuff. Um they got back to me like that week. They're like, hey, we have an official visit this weekend. Would you like to come out to Purdue? Like, yeah, I'd love to. That's where I wanted to go. Because Purdue was known for their guy, their smaller defensive ends that were pass rushers. And that's what I was. So I go out to Purdue, do the visit. They said, okay, we're going to offer you a scholarship. I was ecstatic. But they said one issue. I was like, well, what's that? They said, we want to move you to tight end. I was like, hmm. said, okay, well, how about this? said you can move me to tight end but the first day of practice I want one day I want two a day since back then you had two practices a day I said I want one practice at tight end I want the other practice as a defensive end and he said all right deal and I knew I was like all right well once I 
have one practice at defensive end, they're not going to make me a tight end. And literally, you know, it's about going against the best, best guys on the team too. So the first day of practice, I'm playing Deanne, I'm going against the best tackle they had, Mike Otto. Like, all right, I'll just make this dude a turnstile and then they won't make me a tight end. And that's what happened. So I went out there, you know, beat everybody. And they were like, this dude's insanely good. Let's keep him at defensive end. And when I got to Purdue, I was so crazy that I was going to be too small or not fast enough or not big enough to play at the division one level. It was almost, almost like psychotic with like my training. I probably overtrained. Like I'd go work out three hours a day. I'd go run. Um, I was 270 pounds, like really strong. Like I was really strong. Cause I was thinking like, I'm going to go there and I never saw, I never experienced like a division one program, like a player. So I just really thought I was going to be undersized. I didn't think I was going to be stronger because that's all they would tell me. Like, oh, you're not big enough to play in D1. Like, oh, you're not fast enough. You're not strong enough to play D1. So when I got there and I was 265, benching like uh, 405, squatting like 650, and like everybody else was right behind. They were behind me. I'm like, and I was, you know, a 40-yard dash, three cones, uh, 510-5 drill. I was smoking everybody. I'm like, dude, I might have a chance. I think I can go. I'm good. Like, I, I think I could do it. And I still got to get better here. But, you know, then, then I played two years there and I got drafted. I'm like, holy sh! like this, this it's, it's so crazy that if you really, really focus and put your mind at, and into something, and you put every, if you're obsessed with something, it goes, it takes off. It really does. It really works. It's actually so interesting. So mind you, I started this podcast on top of my dad's office three years ago. And I had all these rappers coming up and they were smoking and drinking. And he found out, he's like, get the fuck out of my office. What are you doing? What's wrong with you? <laughs> and it's always been my goal since I was 16 to make a fat movie in Boston and put it in theaters all over the city. And we fucking shot it. And now in the next like six months, I'm actually going to put this thing in theaters just because it hasn't come off my mind it's crazy if you just really lock in on something and obsess like crazy shit happens yeah i mean look the being you better watch the movie with your wife i'll watch it i want to promise promise but being obsessed over over things the right things let's i mean let's make it a point like if you're obsessed about the wrong things it's not a good thing so I mean, if you if you in your head are were obsessed just like yourself and you're 16 years old you had a a plan in your head on how I was going to do this and probably a story. And I bet you that story has manipulated itself and changed itself and, and gotten better over the years from the time you were 16 to right now, what you have put out there has probably been thinking about it so long that it's probably improved every single year. Then you go back like, Oh no, no, that intro, no, this would be a better intro and this would be a better line and this would be a better story to where in, in a couple more months, you might say, well, shit, I should have done it this way. But you're still constantly thinking about what you want to do, where you want to be, the, how the success you want to have. And I was just thinking about this today because as I was working out, I was doing something I didn't want to do. I was doing like sled pushes. And I was looking, I looked ahead and I was like looking at the mirror. And I was like, I'm, nobody wants a hand. Nobody wants anything in life for nothing. You know, like nobody wants a handout. People want to work. People want to achieve lifelong dreams and goals. And there are, there are things, don't get me wrong. There are things that stand in the way of people's goals, people's dreams, aspirations. I mean, your environment, like where you're, you know, the, the, the people you surround yourself with, 
unfortunate accident circumstances that all affects your, your trajectory. And we're all kind of like a shooting star. And as you go along, there might be a piece that, that redirects you and, it, and you shoot a different direction, but that direction might've helped you or it might've hurt you, but you can't, you can't think about it in a sense of I'm afraid, I'm afraid to go on this path. And some people that fear like kind of, it, par- it paralyzes them. They're just like, I don't want to take a chance. I don't want to do, I, I want to be comfortable. I want to be safe. And that could be a, that can, that can actually hurt you as well. Because when I was younger, I just, just to, to call the head, just do it. Just go ahead, call the head coach. Just go ahead and, and do what you think is right. And, you know, there's moments that you're, you know, I remember in 2007 when I was cut, I was living in an extended stay in Miami. I didn't know where my career was going. Um, you know, I just moved away from my apartment with all my stuff. I had a suitcase full of crap. And I'm like, this thinking about it, I'm like, like this thing could almost be over right now. Like it could almost be like what I have always thought about and focused on for so long could be done. Like, what do I do next? And when I talk to, when I talk to kids, especially, you know, they, the old saying, like, don't put all your eggs in one basket, like that saying, I totally disagree with that. I totally do. I, I feel like if you really put everything you have into what you want to do and it doesn't work out, the, the sacrifice and the, the things that you put yourself through, you've learned from, and you're probably going to be a better person from that. And you look at, and the one thing that I've always been intrigued with, and I, and I, when I talk to people, very successful people, my first question is like, I want to like, what's your story? Like, how did you get to be, you know, a multimillionaire? Like, how did this company start from nothing? And how did it get to being where it's at? And nine times out of 10, I mean, yes, you granted, you'll have your one that's like, oh, well, like my dad started it and I just took it over. Like, you'll have that, like that, that happens. But like nine times out of 10, it was sleepless nights. I mortgaged my house. I slept on the floor in the office. I, I was consumed with what I was trying to do. And then it was that avalanche at the top that just broke off. And then over time, it just gained strength and then just took over. And then now it's, you know, tearing down a hundred foot trees, you know, it's just, it's, you can't stop it. So, you know, that's, that's the one thing that I've learned through just sports and my experiences. It's, it's man, if, if you really want to do it, just dive in, dive into it. And, you know, when I go back home, I go back to Chicago, I'd see kids that, that played football with me and they'd hit me with like the bullshit of like, man, if I just would have, if I just didn't quit that sophomore year, maybe I'd be a pro like you. But you did. And I'd say, well, you quit though. You know, you can't go back. Like you can't. And, and, you know, there's, there's something that I've learned along the way too. The pain of sacrifice is temporary, but the pain of regret lasts forever. Think about that. So when you're running your 15 miles and you run and you got a mile left and there's like that little guy on your shoulder that's telling you like, Hey man, like you did 14. That's good. That's good enough. Like you don't have to do 15. Nobody else is doing 15, but you just fight through it. And yeah, it's painful. Like you're in pain, you're sacrificing like that pain inside of you to get to that 15 and to finish strong. 
if you don't and you stop at 13 or 12, you, you know, you didn't do it. You regret that. You think about it. You get home. You're like, why did I just do that? But you can't go, but you can't do it. Like you can't go back. And there's people that, that maybe quit or, or they gave up and like, you know, they say it or they think about it all the time and you can never get that back. So I feel terrible. I really do feel terrible for pe- for people because we all make mistakes. Don't get me wrong. I've made mistakes. You've made mistakes. We've all made mistakes. But it's the size of the mistake and the regret that can potentially change your life and, and, and the trajectory that you're on. And, you know, for me, I, I tried to live with, with the best mindset of I'm going to sacrifice the most that I can so I don't have regret. And if I sacrifice and I know that I did my best and I don't have the regrets, then I don't look back and regret and say, man, I wish I did this or that. Because, I, you know, you're talking about sticking around here. And, yeah, I mean, could I have probably made more money if I went to another team? Yeah, probably. If I didn't sign like my contracts early and I, you know, stuck around, I wanted to build something special. If I didn't have that inside of me, I would have went and made a few more bucks. But when you You have rings, bro, I got rings, bro. I got rings. So, no, this is pretty cool. You'll probably think this is sweet. All right. So this shoe is that, is that towel? Is that the Gronk sign that? Cause it looks like it's 87. Oh yeah. That's the thing down there. But no, these cleats right here, which are pretty sweet. I've shown these before. These are my game-worn cleats from uh, the Super Bowl 49 against Seattle, right? They still have a little tape on them there. They, huh? No, they still have all the confetti stuck inside with the field on, the, on the back. Uh, yeah. So I like, I'm like super careful with them because if I drop them, they're done though. That, that was the Falcons or that was the uh... – That's the Seahawks. Now, yeah, to you, just because, dude, I could talk to you about like manifesting all day, but my Patriots – friends are going to be pissed if I don't ask you past questions um what what you said the Super Bowl was better for you the Falcons or the uh the Seahawks oh it's got to be Seahawks I mean the first one is like taking the weight vest off you know like taking off all that pressure from just losing losing and everyone expected you know when you play for the Patriots you're expected to win the division go to the playoffs win a Super Bowl you used to yeah and from you think 01, 03, 04, they won three Super Bowls. They didn't win another one until 14. Ten so that years. was 10 years. But nobody really, you know, like when you talk to people, they assume that you won a Super Bowl. It's like, look, I was like in high school when they won their first one. Like I didn't know. I was not a part of that. This is the Patriot book, but there are new chapters being written here. So, you know, that that whole thing of like, not winning and we lost, you know, they lost, I wasn't here in 07, but then you lose in 12, um, AFC championship lose. It's like, man, it's, it's crushing to have those losses. Um, so it's gotta be that first one. Gotta be that first one. It was insane. Now, what did you think when you lost to the giants that second, who, who caught the pass in that second one? That big Eli Manning throw, and everyone was like, "Dude, not again! Are you for real?" No, it was Manningham, I think, on the sideline. Yeah, does that does that keep you up at night, man? Yeah, that one sucked. That one. Oh. So there's a there's a term that the Patriots have, and it's offense and defense, and it's called Rolex. And it's the worst the worst play you want to call for defense, and it's the best play you want to call for offense because if you call it offensively, you're up, and it's basically run the timeout. So like. 
don't go out of bounds. If you like, just get down, let the clock keep running and we're going to win this thing. If you call it on defense, that means you let them score. So it was, you know, they called Rolex. I think it was, uh, I mean, not Brandon Jacobs, Bradshaw might've like, he like tried to stop, but he came into the end zone there. We called Rolex. We, you know, open up the, the, uh, the, the floodgates there, let them run there for a touchdown. And then, you know, we, we were close. Gronk was close. If he didn't have a shattered uh, ankle, he might've caught that. But uh, yeah, that one really sucked. That one, that one hurt because you put in so much, you realize the, the amount of blood, sweat, tears you put in, not just for that season, but the off season. Well, dude, how about your whole life starting from everything, 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 everything. So like, and then you're never guaranteed like an opportunity again. And a lot of guys don't have that opportunity. So there's guys, you know, like the 49ers, there's guys on that team that got to the Super Bowl, they lost. They're not going to be back like for a long ass time, you know, and you might not have another chance in your career. So, you know, for me at the time, I'm like, I, I was like, Talk about uh, obsessed. I was obsessed with trying to get back to that game, trying to get back to it. And we did. And when we won, it was like just insane emotion. You know, at that time, it was my ninth year. So I was old. I was an older player at that point. Well, I was in college. And me and my friend got super drunk after that, man. <laughs> well, I got, I got super drunk. I got super drunk after, uh, I think, all of them. Yeah. Is that what happens? You just get teed up in the locker room, like, all right, let's go. On the yeah, private jet, let's just ball out. I mean, I, no PJs. No PJs, but, like, you, you party hard after the Super Bowl. Hard. Was that hard. The, where was the Rick Ross party? I remember seeing all those pictures of Rick Ross, yeah. Rob Kraft. Everyone's like, yo, that's the most baller shit ever. That was uh, 49, I think. Yeah, Super Bowl 49. We had, like, Snoop Dogg, Rick Ross. We had everybody. It was great. That's dope. After the, I mean, after the game, you're just like, you know, get everybody. I'm talking everybody, coaches, everybody. Like, they're all getting ripped up. So Now, at what point playing-wise did you have more doubt in your head? Uh, the Seahawks game or halftime versus the Falcons? Uh, probably, I mean, just got to be honest, the Falcons game, when you're down that many points, you know, realistically, when you have played a lot of football and you've experienced a lot of games, you look at the time left and what your score is. And I remember being at halftime, you know, everybody was calm and collected. There was no like panic. Nobody was freaking out. Nobody was screaming. You know, we were all like a little bit embarrassed. Like you go out there and you get embarrassed like that. Everybody's watching. It's a Super Bowl. You don't want to be embarrassed like that. It's, it's, you know, that's, it's bad. So, um, we were all in there like, yo, let's just go out here for the second half and let's just be respectable. Like, let's gain some respect back from people. Let's not be like this team in the first half where people, you basically turn the TV off like this team, that shouldn't even be here. So, you know, the second half for me, I the offense got the ball first. So in my head, I was like, if the offense gets the ball and they go three and out, we're in trouble. Like we're in trouble. And they got the ball, they went three and out. I was like, Ugh. But then after that, that strip sack, I mean, it was like a momentum, like flip the switch, pop. And you could feel it. You could feel the stress and the pressure. Like in those games, there's a, there's a certain amount of pressure on everybody. And you feel that pressure from the first play to the last play. Like you feel the amount of pressure. And that pressure from the first play 
it's a little pressure, right? As the game progresses, you feel it and it gets a little bit more, builds up, builds up. In the fourth quarter, it's on. I mean, you feel it. Every single play is like, could be deciding factor in that game. And the, then you get a little tight, get a little, eh, then you start, you know, making mistakes. And, you know, the Falcons, they, they got up 20, 23. Yeah, but don't you have assurance at this point? Like, yo, I kind of got the goat on my team. I'm going to be all right. No, I mean, yeah, but there's moments where you know that things are just getting out of hand, you know, and, and the team itself is kind of going the wrong direction. But, you know, honestly, I'll tell you when the, the, the kind of the flip in my head was like, okay, these guys are going down. When you go on for PATs, like the PAT block, so I'm tr- you're trying to get the ball, you know, you know what PAT block is, point after touchdown. Um, so the first few scores, like these dudes were like happy, high-fiving, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, after like they got up a lot, they started to kind of like be like, what's the after party, you know, like who's playing again? You know, what are, like, what's the ring going to look like? And it was like, dude, that's the, they, you can't look like, you can't look beyond the end of the game. The, the final, when the final whistle blows, you start looking at that, you start thinking about the after party, you start thinking about, you know, I'm a Super Bowl champion before you actually win the game. Then it's, then that, then it's almost a wrap. So then they started, then you felt them kind of panicking, you know, the Patriots score and then they score again, two point conversion, two point conversion. Then you tie the game. Me and Chris Long were standing there. When we tied the game, we looked at each other. We're like, we're winning this. We're going to win this game. We're going to win this game. Then they go down, they score, game over. It was insane. It was insane. And it was a little sad. It was a little bit sad for me because, I mean, I knew that was my last game. I knew going into, like, basically that game that it was probably the last time I'd ever play football. Dude, you say that, but you don't think if you lost, you'd be like, yo, I got to go back. I don't know, man. I don't know. Because I already had one. You know, I already had the the one ring. And, you know, that was kind of like my mom at the, after my 10th year was like, what are you still playing for? Like, what drives you? You know, like, and then when you have your kids and you start thinking about long-term, you know, like, well, I was pretty stupid when I was 25, you know, just headhunting people. You know, you just, you start to like really think about, okay, what's the next 20 going to look like for me? I want to really be, I want to have all my, you know, I want to have all the functionality of my shoulders and my knees. I want to be able to run. I want to go run 15 with you. I want to throw a football, you know, and there's some guys, unfortunately, they hang on too long and they look really bad. Like they can't run. They can't throw. They can't do anything. I'm like, what, what's, what's life for if you can't like go do fun stuff and like go hiking? You know, I climbed Kilimanjaro like a nice. year and a half ago. Like I, I it's just that? like. It's, don't go to Africa. It's, it's, I've been to Tanzania. Oh, Tanzania. I was in Tanzania. I mean, I just think the, the, the feeling of being like helpless, like if you're helpless, like you are on a mountain and if anything happens, like you literally can't get anyone there to help you. That, I didn't like that feeling. That's the one thing I really hated about it. Like if you're in trouble, like the odds of you being in serious trouble are very high versus like here in the United States, it's like, helicopter away or like there's a really nice hospital with like not mosquito nets everywhere Dude, uh, push your comfort zone that's what we were just talking about yeah so then so i did that because i wanted to push my comfort zone and i did it and it was a bucket list i got to the top sat down hey i'm at uh, 19,000 feet like never again can't breathe very well <laughs> but i did it you know so 
that's that's a cool uh, moment. You know, I got pictures at the top. It, it was beautiful. It was insane. But um, you know, the funny story around a we're on one of these safaris and the guy that was like giving us a tour was like, Oh, the, the Mamba, you know, like they're like the number one Mamba strikes in the world is in the, the mountains of Tanzania or Kilimanjaro. We, as you're going through the jungle to get up to the top. For those listening, a Mamba is like a venomous fish. Yeah. A mamba, black Mamba, black Mamba. So, you know, if it, if it bites you, you have 45 minutes to get the antivenom or you die. Like you die. And I was like, how far are we from anti-venom? He was like, three hours. I was like, oh, great, great. Well, don't get bit by a freaking snake or you're dead, you know, basically. Um, talk about toilets in Africa. There was just a hole. <laughs> it's just, I was going to say, just the woods. It was just in the ground. Like, just, I'm like, oh, cool. I was at the airport. I'm like, oh, I can pee in the, poo in the hole. Okay, cool, great. <laughs> People that, but didn't you get a perspective? People there, they just don't care about as much shit as we do. They live a much more simple life. Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, unfortunately, we live in a, you know, a egotistical world of you know, pointless items in our lives. Like, you know, I'll even I get I get pulled into. You like it. cars though? Like you I do like cars. I was just gonna say I love cars. I mean, I do love cars, but. That was something, you know, I was a kid, I used to sneak into my grandpa's garage and he had an old Corvette and I used to sneak under his little tarp and I'd sit in it and it was really cool. And I just think back on like my childhood, me and my old man would go to like the car, like auto shows. My dad was just an iron worker. Like, you know, so when I had the, I guess the means to like go get like a cool 65, like an old car, I'm like, it's cool. They don't make them anymore. It's almost like it's like fun to look at because those old cars, like they're not cool to drive. Like they're freaking, you get in a fender bender, you're dead, you know. So it's like they're just cool to to look at. And most most cars, when you buy a car, it depreciates instantly. Like those old cars, you can buy them, hang on to them, and you sell them, and you know, get your money back. But like, I got a feeling these first model Teslas will probably appreciate though. The so the Tesla, the only issue my buddy owns. I, so I do a lot of stuff with the the autos automobiles and i have some buddies in the industry and uh the teslas are not built well like they're not like they're they're very poor in in reliability um the You're paint, stockholders yeah stockholders but 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 here's the thing the stock is going to be this no matter what we know that the future of vehicles and all that stuff is going into the electric power which I have some issues with it. I do. I, 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 you know, to say that an electric powered car is green and eat, it is great for our, our world and our earth. It's kind of silly to say because, you know, there's a lithium uh, field, lithium ion, like they're, they're mining lithium in Chile right now with like, 10 year old children and like where does the batteries come from that power the car and the, the battery is the size of a massive coffee table and when you have a small battery like my phone here they tell you don't throw this away because why because it'll destroy our earth and then there's things in it that are not good for the planet i think so the argument is it's a step in the right direction though it's a step in the right direction, but the, the elements that go into it, and if you're in China and you plug your, your electric car in with a coal-powered plant that's down the street, you know, firing coal off, it's the same thing. It's the same, it's the same footprint. So 
you know, we need to, they need to start focusing on the wind and the, maybe the currents of the ocean, like some type of turbine because the, the ocean's constantly moving um, with the current, something that, that is going to be constantly producing energy that you're not burning fossil fuels because we all know that what that does for the, you know, CO, the CO, the carbon emissions and the, the, uh, the carbon monoxide and all that stuff. So it's interesting. It's interesting to see where the future of, you know, transportation is going to be because, you know, vehicles are very, a very small, very small footprint. Like you think about what, keeps our world moving airplanes i don't know if you've ever seen an airplane start Have you ever seen a jet start in the morning when it's cold no when it starts up it has like a plume of smoke and it stinks i mean it's you've been on an airplane right they open the back door and you smell the nastiness coming in like and you like want to cover your face because you feel like you're going to be asphyxiated like a jet airplane a jet like produces immense amount of terrible things that for the for the earth so you know, you just smiled again when you were talking about asphyxiating on smoke. You're a real sicko. Asphyxiating. <laughs> my dad used to do these treatments when I was a kid. He'd cover my mouth up, and then you get you like trying to freak out a little bit, and you then he lets you go, and then you can breathe. Wait, your, dad would, your dad would strangle you, and then he'd say, "Suck that sweet air," you know. <laughs> <laughs> ah, no, it was all fun. That was all in good fun. Like yeah, that sounds healthy, bro. Yeah, like he just you know you cover you up and then you kind of squirm a little bit and then he let you go and then you breathe air and you're like, it's like, if you ever been in like the bottom of a pool and you're like, you stay down a little too long and you're like, Oh shit. And you're trying to get up, you're trying to get up and you breathe in a little water and then you get to the top and then you're like, Oh, like it feels so good. (laughs) Let me right on the edge, you know? Holy shit. Like drowning, man, I've, I've had a Never. terrible experience of drowning almost. You almost drowned? Oh, yeah. Bad. Yeah, you, you probably voluntarily. No, this one was scary because I was an idiot. And uh, my buddy, uh, Jake Ingram, used to be a long snapper for the Patriots, anyone listening. And uh, he, he was born and raised in Hawaii, went to college in Hawaii, got drafted to come play for the Patriots. So he was in Hawaii his whole life. And he gets on an airplane to come here to New England. Like, imagine the just the absolute shock to your system of a, a Hawaii every day. You know, the climate, the ocean, shoots by, you know, drinking uh, Heinies on a beach, bro. You know, like surfing, like, oh, cool, bro. Like, no, no worries. We'll have fun. And then he comes here and it's like, go Belichick. Like, you suck, you know. So I go to Hawaii with him. And this is like a guy's trip. And, uh. He takes me to we're on the north shore of Honolulu, which is massive. I mean, the the guy that rented the house to us was like, do not go in the water. Whatever you do, do not go in the water. And I was like, I'm not going in the water. Screw that. Because literally the waves were 35 feet tall. I'm talking like bigger than the house. Crack all day, all night, thunder, boom, boom. And the undertow, like if you put your foot in the sand the water would come up and it would just suck you out. Like you'd sink in the sand because it was so powerful, like pulling out. So Jake was born and raised in that. So he was going out surfing, like he was in it, you know, he fell and like, I was like, Whoa, that was tough. Like, how do you get out of that one? He'd come in. He's like, bro, almost drowned on that one. I'm like, Whoa. Okay. 
and like I guess if you're a surfer and you're from Hawaii, like almost being dry, like almost dying or basically dying is like it, it's a normal thing. Like oh, like yeah, I drowned three times and like one time they resuscitated me. I'm good. You know, it's like whoa, that's crazy. Um, so we go to Waimea Bay, which is a body surfing. It's a body surfing like beach, right? And it's like right next to the to the North Shore. And in February, the waves there are probably like five feet. So like they're pretty damn big, like five feet. They could be 10 foot waves. So body surfing, I had never body surfed before in my life. There's a sign that says, do not go in the water. There's people, there's a guy on the microphone. Don't go in the water if you're experienced. Don't go in the water if, you're, if you've not been in this water before. Don't go in the water. I'm like, so I'm talking to Jake. I'm like, Jake, is this cool? He's like, here you should swim. I'm like, yeah, I could swim. So he goes in his truck and he's like, I'll help you out. So he grabs a set of flippers, right? Two. He takes one, gives me one. He's like, I'll take this one. You take that one. I'm like, one flipper. So he gives me one. Counterintuitive. One flipper. So the the Waimea Bay is known for, they call it like, it's called shore break. So the wave comes up and it crashes on the beach. So like a lot of people, unfortunately, they break their necks. Because when you're body surfing, if you go straight on, it flips you up and you land on your head, you break your neck. So my, I didn't, and I had no idea. I had no clue about like sets of a wave. Like I didn't know that you wait for like the fourth or fifth. You don't go on the first because like, then you have like five or six that are just going to pummel you after. So I didn't know that either. No, I didn't know that. So I was like, the first thing I am out there, I swim out there, doggy paddle out there, you know, First, first wave I see, I go straight on. I don't go sideways. You're supposed to, I don't know. I just go, it just pushed me straight. So like brought me up. I smacked, like I tucked because I like knew I was going to hit the ground. I like tucked myself and I hit my back of my neck on the sand. Boom. And it like, it like crunched me and I was like, oh shit. So when that happened, the wave went and then it was like probably like it's shore break and then there was probably three foot of water. And then like I was trying to go up and like I was all disoriented. So like when I was trying to go up, like I was down. So I like hit the sand with my head. And then I popped my head up and the second I popped my head up, like the second I popped my head up, a wave hit me. And I was like, oh shit. And I needed it like a breath. You ever like the you ever like been held like been wrestling somebody in a pool and like they're holding you under the water and you know you need air and you almost freak out like you're like you're like i need air and it's like a last like ditch effort to like get air well like that second wave hit me and i was right at that point so i was almost panic mode like i was like oh shit i'm gonna suck in water here so like the second i was able to get air again i like got air and another wave hit me and so like after that set was done, it was like five waves. I was so tired. Like I literally, yeah. I literally, it was like fourth quarter, two minute, no huddle. Like I'm dead. Like I was dead. I like got off on the beach. I like crawled off like in a movie. I like laid on the beach. I'm like, oh God. And I didn't go back in the water. And Jake was out there for three hours. Never even, never even checked on me. And then given, given your masochistic trait, you're like, God, that was awesome. I mean, it was fun. I enjoyed it. (laughs) Well, well, hey, man. um, I didn't go back out again. That's for sure. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Dude, uh, just wrapping some things up here. Um, Yo, Brendan, you want to ask a question to Rob? 
This is a mega Pats fan, dude. You and I got drunk after those Super Bowls together, man. Yes, sir. Um, give me, let's pretend you're on ESPN. Give me a pass for the next season. What do they need to address? Obviously, QP, but what other uh, things do they need to do? They need to address a lot of positions. Um, they need to cover linebacker on the inside, like a guy, because nowadays the the running back is turned into another receiver. So if you can't cover that guy with just a running, like a linebacker, it's really tough because then you got to bring another safety or another DB in the game to try and cover that guy, which leaves you light in the box. If, if you're run, if you're playing a team that can run the ball too, um, you look at Kansas City, what is that guy, that Alaire guy, Clyde's Alaire dude? Like, I think he's he's a young rookie, but he's he's like – he can catch and run out of the backfield and he can run the football. So they need an inside linebacker. They need a pass rusher. Uh, they're going to need a, hopefully they bring back David Andrews. They're going to need a center. If they lose David Tooney's going to be gone. Uh, they're going to need a, obviously a quarterback. I think number one receiver is key. They need a big receiver. They need a lot of shit, man. They need a lot of stuff. Dude, let's get some optimism out of you. What's wrong with you, man? I'm a realist, bro. I don't, I'm not a fairy tale guy. Okay, cool. All right. Uh, also, you had on Wikipedia at least said you had 46 sacks in your career. Yep. When your son, how old is your son right now? Four? Four. Yep. So let's say 10 years, starting to hit puberty. Yep. Starting to become an athlete. You're like, hey, I sacked that guy. He might be a dancer. I don't know. I don't know where he's at right now. Well, anyway, man. <laughs> when, you're trying to, when you're trying to impress your son, you're like, yeah, son, I sacked that guy. Who are you saying? Probably Peyton Manning. That must have been awesome. He must have been stoked. Yeah, I've sacked him a lot. And I've intercepted him as well. So that's a, it's a cool feeling to, to sack a uh, Hall of Famer and a you know, hell of a player like Manning. So that guy – and. I really wanted Favre too because I grew up with Favre, and I I literally sacked him. But he the thing that sucks about uh, intentional grounding, if you're being sacked in the process and you just throw the ball away and you intentionally ground the football, they take the sack away. It's bullshit. So I had Favre, but he intentionally grounded the ball. What about the Mark Sanchez pick six? I can bring that up. Yes, Dirty Sanchez. Uh, yeah, that was cool. That was a cool moment. All right, man. We'll hit. Oh, you know what was a cool moment too? The sack fumble in overtime when I hit Sanchez and he fumbled. That was like a really cool, like this is a badass like sack fumble, recover the ball, game over. You know, that was a cool, that was a cool moment. All cool shit, man. And Super Bowl prediction. Man, I, it's really hard. Dirty, bro. The Chiefs are nasty. It's hard for me to go against the Chiefs. It really is. Tom just threw three picks. Nobody's talking about those three picks he threw last week. Yeah, but there they were two of them like tips. Mm, I mean, it was a tip and then the overthrow. The overthrow and the fadeaway like lollipop was a really bad one. Like I'm like, what are you what are you doing right there? Eat it. Eat the sack. You'll be all right. Um, I think the Chiefs are just too much. You know, I think that they have too much firepower with you know how fast they are. Come on, man. But Tom Brady's good, man. Tom Brady is really good. But I want to see Tom get seven, so I'm going with Tampa. No, you say that because he's probably your friend. But in your, mind, in your mind, you do think the Chiefs are going to win. 
I got to go with my friend. Come on. I got to go with my buddy, Tommy. Got to go with TB. Yo, I actually didn't. I should have asked James this too, but is it like fun playing with yourself on Madden? Is that like a blast? It is fun playing with yourself. Yes. Madden, of course. Uh, I mean, <laughs> back in the day, you know, my nephew would be playing Madden. And I guess there's like this, my buddy's kid plays still. And there's like a legacy characters. Like they have these guys that you can earn. And I, I don't know. I guess I had one. I don't know. But I was surprised I was always really highly ranked. Like I had like 90 overall, which is pretty damn That's good. fire. Isn't that fun? 90 for a white guy? Come on. It, Brendan. What's up? Are you are you next to your laptop? Yeah. Can you just check what James Devlin's rating was? Because we'll see who had the better Madden rating. Robert James. Because you guys are buddies, right? Yeah. Yep. James is a good man. I think I definitely had the better rating. Just what season? Do do uh 2017. You retired at 19, right? Yeah. I'm at 89. Actually. No, what is this, though? Because I see them all over the place. I see 89, I see 95, and Legends. Oh, yeah, I think they have the ultimate team because Devlin has a 99 rating in this one. Which is- so in uh, 17, Madden, it was a 98, which I don't get. Damn, you were fucking killing it, bro. I don't know. Anyway, man. Well, it's Rob- all good. It's all good. It's Madden. It ain't real. Well, dude, I had an awesome time, man. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I got to go get the kiddos from school. Listen, I got, we end with two things. One, we already discussed this. I'm dropping this movie. I'm pumped for you and the wife to see it. It's definitely not kid friendly. So do not bring the four year old around for it. Okay. And is, dude, there, it, is, there, is there killing involved? I can't, I can't give it away. Damn it. Oh, All right. Just know it's entirely Boston based. So I used only resources from the city to get it done. I didn't go to New York or LA or any of that bullshit. I got it done here. Cool. That's number one. Number two, dude, if you want to join me for some miles, please come meet some with me. I don't run super fast. A little nine minute, a little nine minute coast through. You're nine minute mile guy? Dude, you better watch that mouth. (laughs) 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 Long term, like I I got my marathon on the seventh. I'm trying to have an 840 pace. That's the goal. That's a good, that's a good pace. 840. I was going to run the Boston marathon, but then they cancel it. So no, it's in September. No, I'm saying last year I was running it. I was running it, but I wasn't training for it. So I was just going to, I was just going to do it. You probably, dude, people would be surprised. You probably could leave your house right now and run a marathon easy. If you like pain, it it would just be like, yo, this is going to fucking kill. Let me just keep going. Yeah. Fight through it. Don't be a bitch. Rob smiling again (laughs) with the masochism, man. Okay. And uh, dude, this is how we start and end the episodes. You say, hi, your name. And this is my golden hour directly after no break hi your name and that was my golden hour i don't know what you're talking about hold on hi my name is rob nikovich that was my golden hour hi my name is rob nikovich and that was my golden hour dude that was extremely well executed is that exactly what you said you killed it man you're you're the media tycoon i have ct so <laughs> All right, hey man, and listen, when we get off the phone, I'll uh I mean off the Zoom, I'll get your address, I'll send you and the wife your sweatshirt. I got these fresh hoodies. Sick. I'm an XL, bro. Damn, bro. But gotta lose some weight. I'm 250, bro. I'm good. All right, hey. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate you. All right, man. Yeah, be good. I'll talk to you.